Hello, everyone, and welcome to Of Slippers and Spindles. I'm Cassie. And I'm Drew. And it's the Disney episode. For some reason, it's weird because Disney doesn't have a Snow Queen movie, but here we are. Wow, we're just jumping right in. We're just jumping. Of course, we're just jumping right in. Going right for it. I love it. I love it. Yes, so indeed, this is our final retelling slash reimagining, whatever you want to call it, of the Snow Queen. Many, many months ago, like literally at the start of 2021, Cassie and I decided that when we would do the Snow Queen, we would do it in a month with five weeks. That way we could do four true retellings of the Snow Queen and include Frozen as the bonus week because... It's not a retelling of the Snow Queen. Drew, I watched this movie like a conspiracy theorist reading through the JFK documents that were just released. Okay? Look, I have a chart. <laughs> and on this side of the chart are all of the beats and elements of the Snow Queen. And on this side of the chart is Frozen the movie. If it could even, even tangentially be considered to line up. That's actually not too bad from what I can see. Oh, no, a lot of these here in the middle are like, no, nada, nothing. This does not exist. Okay, well, let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's talk about Frozen. And again, if you were not, if you did not listen to the last episode, which is fine, I, but I want to, to say at the beginning something I said in that episode, because my feelings on Frozen are very different from, from how I feel about like The Little Mermaid. I like Frozen. I like this movie. I enjoy it a lot. And I want to be very clear about that. None of my arguments are in any way like complaints or feelings of negativity towards the movie Frozen. I enjoy the movie Frozen greatly. But it is not a Snow Queen retelling. So I, I actually feel like I'm very critical of Frozen. And I... I for the most part, agree with you that it's not really a retelling of the Snow Queen. But because this conversation is being had by Cassie and Drew, somehow we fell into these roles of me arguing in the movie's favor and you arguing against the movie. And I don't know, I think that's interesting. I I have good things to say about this movie. I have some criticisms of this movie. I mean, I've got some criticisms of it too, of it too, but overall, sure. I, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's fun. I think Disney has put out better movies recently. And I don't know. I just think maybe we should both come into this a little more neutral. Because I, I do agree with you for the most part that this is not a Snow Queen retelling. But as I've said a couple of times this month, I do think that there is more there than meets the eye initially. The influences of Hans Christian Andersen's story on this movie are very clear. Like, the influences are definitely there. So you have this central character who is a queen with ice powers, with snow powers, right? And you have Mm -hmm. this kind of ending message of... It falls off the rails even here a little bit for me because... Matthew's whole big point is, well, the message is the same. Snow Queen doesn't have a message. Hans Christian Andersen's Snow Queen doesn't have a firm message at the end. But fine. The, The idea of, like, an act of love fixing a cold heart. That element is there. The idea of, like, 
cold ice mirror glass those words are all kind of represented in both stories <laughs> yes so yes so you can you can make the argument that when elsa's magic hit Anna's head or hits Anna's heart that that's kind of evocative of the piece of mirror hitting Kai's eye and Kai's heart right so here are the other things that I think line up you've got obviously a queen who has ice powers you've got a reindeer you've got a girl going on a quest to save somebody who she loves in a non-romantic way you have like you said, ice slash mirror entering somebody's heart. Those basic elements are there. Let, let me pitch to you a Snow Queen adaptation, cast. Okay. What if I said, I'm going to retell the Snow Queen, but my big twist, the thing that I, that I am changing, is that I am combining Kai and the Snow Queen, and they are one character. So the Gerda character has to go on a quest to save that Kai character from themselves. That, I think, is the very basic idea. I know it's loose, but I do think that that initial idea is there. Okay, but Anna is also Kai because Anna's the one who gets struck in the heart. Oh, true. That was my biggest thing when I sat down. It was like, okay, at the most basic level, if you're calling this a retelling, I need to be able to know who is which character. Who is the Snow Queen? Okay, I mean, that's it's, fair. Okay, it's Elsa, but the Snow Queen is also the villain of the story, and Elsa is not the villain of Frozen, so could you make an argument that Hans is maybe the Snow Queen in some way? Who is Kai? Is it Elsa because she's the one that the journey is being undertaken for, or is it Anna because Anna's the one who gets struck in the heart with the magic? Who is Gerda? You know, what role does Kristoff play? Who is Olaf? Like Kristoff is the robber girl. <laughs> Kristoff is clearly the robber girl. I'm sorry, you're right. But like Frozen does not have the beats of the story. And it also doesn't replace the beats of the story with equivalent beats. I, I agree with you. At the end of the day, this is not really a Snow Queen retelling. It is inspired by the Snow Queen very loosely. But it's still a pretty decent story. It is a decent story. And and like I said, I want to stress that. It's a decent story and it's one that I enjoy watching. I think Frozen 2 is better than Frozen. And I think the Broadway musical is better than the movie. Those are my hot takes. I agree with you on both accounts. Okay, awesome. But if you do you want to know my like conspiracy theory notes here? Of course. For my, my beats of the story. You've got Demon Makes a Mirror. That distorts the view of the world. Uh, Elsa's powers, kind of. Eh, I, I wouldn't even... Yeah, kind of, I said. I wouldn't even count that. If there is an equivalency to the mirror, it is Elsa's magic. Yes, yeah. The mirror breaks and gets into eyes and hearts. Elsa's powers striking on. I think that's one of the clearest, like, most actual... Of course. Actualized kind of connections. Kai and Gerda grow up together. I have sisters with a question mark. <laughs> I think it's there. I think that's there. It's the non-romantic loved one. Right. Is an important element. Kai gets mirror in his eye and changes. And this is another one of my big points is that, yes, Anna gets struck by the magic, but it in no way affects who she is as a person. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, it's affecting her physically, but not. Yeah, but it doesn't change. Emotionally, personality. Yeah, yeah. Kai is kidnapped by the Snow Queen. 
Elsa runs away from her responsibilities and is kidnapped by herself. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gerda sacrifices her boots to the river and journeys to find Kai. That's Anna's journey, broadly speaking. And then, Cassie, you're making my case. Okay, here. Like, but no, then we're getting to like- then we're getting to the stuff in the middle. So then we have Gerda is trapped by the enchanters in the cottage. No, Gerda is freed by the roses. Absolutely nothing. Gerda looks for Kai in the Palace of Dreams. Zilch. Gerda is captured by robbers. Not here. Gerda escapes with a reindeer. Sven exists. <laughs> Gerda is helped by two women. Olaf and Oaken are in the story. You know, this is like once we get to the, the beats of the story, not just the setup of the story. Okay. We don't here's have the thing to me, equivalencies. To me, like, I have no problem with taking Gerda's journey and saying, I don't really need any of this. I'm going to do my own journey. And I'm actually surprised that we didn't see that happen more with other retellings this month. Breadcrumbs did that where they, uh, she kind of just said, you know, I'm not going to do any of the journey. I'm going to write my own journey. I don't have a problem with that. To me, the Snow Queen, to be a retelling of the Snow Queen, what I need is that beginning setup with Kai and Gerda and Kai is taken away by the Snow Queen. I need a final confrontation at the Snow Queen's palace at the end. And I need a journey between those two things. And I don't really mind if those, if that journey is different, personally. I think I need a little bit more. And I definitely need the mirror because the mirror is the whole driving force behind. Mm, Yeah, that is fair. Hans Christian Andersen's story. And it's not in Frozen. It's like doing... Snow White without the apple. Although we've seen Snow White without the apple, so actually that's not a good example. <laughs> and I think I think one of the biggest things for me is just that the character parallels are not clear. Like mm-hmm. I don't know who Kai is supposed to be. I don't know who the Snow Queen is supposed to be. And there's so much extra stuff happening as well that doesn't tie into like I'm okay with creating different obstacles for Gerda, but I still want those three moments that she goes through and I still want what they represent to be represented. Well, here's my question then. Part of our criticism of the fairy tale is that we don't feel that those three things like represent anything. So what are you looking to uh, to be there? I want the events that Han Christian Andersen wrote in his story to be made to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's different. That is different, but like I think that really is what I want from people who choose to do this story is to say, okay, I'm going to take the the bones of the idea that he had because his original story doesn't work <laughs> the way that we want it to. I want people to take the events that he wrote and find a way to make them work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Because if you're just if you're saying, oh, that doesn't work, and you're just scrapping it entirely. And you just have the same beginning point and you have the same ending point. I don't feel like that's enough. At that point, you're just writing your own story. I don't know. This is, see, this is a, an interesting question. And we've discussed this before. Like, how much do you have to have in order to be a true retelling? Of course. And I think it's different per person. It's obviously different for so me too. and it's different for you. And it's also different per fairy tale. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's talk about the background of the movie just a little bit before we start talking about the plot. Frozen came out in 2013, but it has been 
a Walt Disney project for decades, basically. They've been trying to do the Snow Queen. Walt wanted to do a Hans Christian Andersen live action film way back like when Snow White came out. That was his next like idea was to do this live action film about Hans Christian Andersen with animated sequences of his different stories. But the Snow Queen was like the one they couldn't figure out how to do, which is not surprising to anybody who has read the Snow Queen or any other fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen, that that would be the problem. So that that got shelved. They tried to do it again in the 90s, but it wasn't working. They tried to do it again in 2008, still wasn't working. And then finally, after the success of Tangled in 2011, they announced that the Snow Queen adaptation would be named Frozen. And that's when they, they started really, you know, honing in on what this movie would actually be. And the movie really came together. They they developed it for a long time with Elsa as a villain, which makes sense, of course. But they they wrote the song Let It Go, and that was what made it all click. That's what made them say, okay, what is this person with snow powers actually feeling and going through? And that's what changed everything to to make Elsa a sympathetic character. I have a lot of thoughts on Elsa that we'll talk about later because I have feelings about Elsa. But that's kind of like the background. It it was a long time coming for them to retell the Snow Queen. (laughs) I remember the announcement that they were going to be doing the Snow Queen. Mm -hmm. I was so excited. I was so excited. And then like, I don't remember exactly when the first trailer dropped, but it, I remember it every year when it does pop up because it pops up in my Facebook memories because my status is just, why is there a singing, talking snowman in my Snow Queen adaptation? The initial trailer was really strange. Like, I don't remember what it was exactly, but it was definitely just like Olaf, maybe Sven, no Elsa, Anna, anything. Yeah, and I think like, That was kind of part of the experience for me was that I was so hyped for an actual Snow Queen retelling. And then that's not what I got. (laughs) And also, when this movie came out, I was working in an elementary school. Oh, man. I can. I I got you beat already. (laughs) But go on. Go on. Do you? Because. I bet I do. I mean, you were working at Disney. Uh So, like. It was everywhere. I was was working in an elementary school, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I was working as a special ed para, and one of my jobs was to escort two of our third graders to all of their specials. Uh And this elementary school music teacher every year did something that she called Star Search, which was like a little mini talent show within each class. And so I took my kids to their music class for Star Search. And I kid you not, I listened to five girls in one 40-minute period sing Let It Go. I'm not even surprised. And then one girl who got up there and sang all of the parts of Fixer Upper. And I was like, you know what? I applaud you. I applaud you, tiny child. (laughs) But I worked in an elementary school when this movie came out. And so I am so over the song let it go don't get me wrong it's a good song i guess but i'm still so tired of it i still have such deep fatigue of that song uh, i mean like you said i was working at disney i just saw frozen everywhere 
And I also, the marketing campaign, I mean, we mentioned how strange the first trailer was, but the first trailer was dropped really late. They dropped it very close to the release date. I thought that Frozen was going to flop. I really believed they were not marketing it well enough and that it was going to flop. And then all of a sudden, it was frozen everywhere. It was just everywhere. And obviously, I was incredibly wrong because it was a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. So shall we talk about Frozen? Yes, we will We will do this for you, listeners, because this is the Disney episode. This is the closest Disney movie we have to the Snow Queen. It's the origins of, of this movie are the Snow Queen. So we will give you the full Disney episode experience. And set aside, until we get to the criteria, we will set aside the fact that this is not actually the Snow Queen. And we will just talk about Frozen. And I am I am here for that. Okay, cool. So what all are we going to cover today? We're going to talk about the movie. We will probably lightly touch on the sequel and the many, many shorts that they keep putting out. And then we'll definitely talk about the musical because I know we both have feelings about the musical. And then we'll wrap up with our little theme park section and criteria and then tune in for the end of the episode because then you get to hear about what we're doing next on the podcast so let's talk about frozen it had been a while since i'd actually watched this movie from start to finish Mm -hmm. i forgot we saw baby kristoff at the start of it oh i have feelings about baby (laughs) kristoff positive feelings well i like i like seeing kristoff as a little kid but I hate these freaking trolls. The trolls are evil. I hate the trolls. I I feel so passionately. They kidnapped this child, right? And, and who knows what Kristoff's life... I mean, he's there with all those men. It's not like they were not aware of him. I mean, he does say, like, we were on our own until he met the trolls. But I don't believe that because he's like I, I am, a four-year-old I am confused kid. about Kristoff's origin story. They literally kidnap this child. Okay, that's one thing. Here's the other thing. They are responsible for the destruction of Anna and Elsa's relationship. Not to mention every insecurity that Elsa has comes from the trolls and her father. And it's upsetting to me. Here's the small defense I will make of the trolls. I I don't think that their intention was for the king to take things the way that he did. I think more of that responsibility of of Elsa's uncertainty and and her own self-doubts is because of her parents. I have a note where I said I want the king and the queen to be better parents than they're they are terrible. because they clearly love their daughters and they're trying to do what they think is right but they are very wrong about what is right what what's frustrating to me is that the movie does not present this as bad parenting right exactly and 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 it is and i feel like i feel like what the troll was trying to say with you know fear will be your enemy was you can't be afraid of your magic you have to learn to control it and to use it I don't know how old elsa is meant to be in this scene but you cannot look at a child that little and say hey fear will be your enemy and just let that go right huh see what i did there let it go ah i see you can't just say that to a little kid and expect them to interpret it in that way no but i think again i think that the parents heard that and were like okay let's scoop her up and hide her away forever and my 
again, I have another note that says, you know, why couldn't the trolls have trained Elsa? Clearly they know magic. Clearly they understand magic. And that's how I want the parents to handle it is like, well, well, we took you here because you know about magic. So why don't you teach our daughter how to use and control her magic so that it's not a danger to anybody? And that seems like it would be the good parenting choice. That would make sense. But no, I think that everything that happens with Anna and Elsa is very tragic. The fact that her power is growing, she doesn't understand it, it terrifies her. And so then we've got a self-fulfilling prophecy with fear will be your enemy because her fear makes it worse. No, go on. I'm I'm not disagreeing with you, Drew. I'm I'm I know, I just I, I have an additional point here, which is that in the musical, they expand this line. And it's yes. not just fear will be your enemy. The line is fear will be your enemy and death its consequence. Excuse me? You cannot look at a seven-year-old girl in the eye and say, hey. Fear will be your enemy and death its consequence and expect things to be fine from there. No, Elsa was done dirty. With no further explanation. Elsa and Anna were both done dirty by everybody in their lives. It's so upsetting. It is. It is. 100%. And I like to think that maybe it would have been better if their parents hadn't died at sea. Like if they'd gone seeking answers and they'd been able to come back with answers. That happened so much later. Like... Almost a decade later. Yeah, bad choices were made. I acknowledge this and agree with it. So yes, that's the beginning of the movie. Anna gets hit in the head with Elsa's powers. And basically the trolls say, we're going to erase all magic from Anna's memory. She will not remember any of this or that Elsa has magic at all. And so Elsa is going to have to hide her powers from Anna as she grows up. And she's going to be taught to... Not taught to, but they're going to try to conceal her powers. And so the words conceal, don't feel become her motto, which is so sad for a little girl. Again, awful. Like, yeah, telling a child not to feel things, you know. And this is, I think, perfect a perfect example of the fact that good intentions can still have disastrous consequences. Sure. Yeah. I I mean, I do think they meant well. They obviously meant well. But it really feels like they didn't put any thought into, you know, how this would affect Anna and Elsa. They had to have seen Anna knocking on Elsa's door and wanting to be friends as she grows up through the next song, which is Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Like, they have to have seen how this was damaging their relationship. And I understand that, like, Anna knowing about Elsa's powers could lead to Anna being hurt. But there had to be something else they could have done. Right. And I, uh, my other thing with all of this is we can sit and critique the actions of the adults in this movie for ages. But this reality, these decisions that were made, this is what sets up the character arcs of both of these characters. Of course. This fractured course. relationship is at the heart of everything that goes wrong. Yeah. Again, though, like what's frustrating to me i understand that you have to you know people have to do things poorly in stories because otherwise there's no conflict right but the movie as i said does not present this as a problem right and in frozen 2 like it's not addressed at all they're still shown you know it's all portrayed as them helping on an elsa which is their intent but there's no acknowledgement of the fact that all of this damage comes from yeah that yeah that's fair that's valid but we we jump ahead. So they do – the parents go on a trip. They die at sea. And mm-hmm. the the kingdom is kind of 
waiting for Elsa to be old enough to take the crown. I don't know who was ruling Arendelle in the intervening years. I don't understand this political structure, but okay. Yeah, um, there was originally a regent character, but they felt like he just muddled the story. There was nowhere for him to really go after this moment. Yeah. So they just cut him completely. And the musical does kind of acknowledge it. They say like, we will honor the ways of our great king and queen until right. the young queen comes of age. And so like, that's nice that they put in a line to to at least acknowledge like that this is kind of a, a little bit of a, not a plot hole, but like a yeah. funky thing. <laughs> But the two sisters grow up very isolated in their palace. Uh, but when Elsa is old enough to be crowned, it's coronation day. They are opening the doors of the palace for the first time in forever. And oh. letting... <laughs> see what I did there? Uh, letting the people come in. And Anna is so excited because Anna is very extroverted. And that had to have been just a horrible, horrible existence for her. She has a great song. She talks about, you know, she's talking to the paintings on the walls because she doesn't have anybody else to talk to. Hang in there, Joan. And she's just thrilled to meet people. Anybody. Anybody. And she does meet people. She does meet people. She meets Hans. And my note here is, hey, we're not a spoiler-free podcast. Oh, yeah. Have you seen Frozen? I feel like <laughs> I feel like at this point, if you haven't seen Frozen, that's not on us. I didn't even consider giving the <laughs> spoiler warning because it's... <laughs> frozen so uh yeah spoiler alert here we go prince hans prince hans because my note is was hans our first sneak villain that disney gave us and then i went no cassie that is prospector pete erasure and i will not stand for it <laughs> well that's pixar though that's that's pixar it is interesting well though. toy story was disney pixar yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you're right. This starts a long line of Disney giving sneak twist villains, and I can't stand it. Because now you can always see it coming, and they have ruined the Disney villain line. Maleficent, Cruella de Vil, Captain Hook, Jafar. People love the Disney villains. And the last one we got was Mother Gothel, and they don't even really include Mother Gothel. And I, I just think this is such a mistake on Disney's part. I think it works here. Sure. Yeah, of course. I, I'm just saying like the trend that it started is yeah, the, disappointing. The trend is unfortunate because it is every single movie. It's, oh, who is the villain? Is it that completely unassuming character over there that you wouldn't possibly think is the villain? Surprise. It is. It, I mean, it happens in Zootopia, Big Hero 6, kind of Moana. Um, yeah, it's 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 almost all of them. Yeah. But here I think it does work because it sets up the whole um, Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, Wreck-It Ralph does it. It sets up the whole real twist at the end for me very nicely, though, with uh, an act of true love will thaw a frozen heart and the subverting of that trope that this movie does, which I'm here for. But Hans being the secret villain, that I think sets that up very nicely. But there's been some really interesting, really fascinating, like, analysis of his character that I've read that people have talked about. Like, he wears the gloves like Elsa does, and they're both concealing yes. things. And about also how he mirrors the people that he's speaking to as a way of, like, winning their trust Ooh. and their affection. And so when he meets Anna, he mirrors her kind of awkward. There's your mirror, Cassie. They're, oh, there. It's Hans the is the mirror. Perfect. <laughs> Well, I, I 
I find Hans really interesting as well. And something that I, I really love is the, the song Love is an Open Door is so interesting to me because doors as a metaphor for love is this like really prevalent theme throughout the story because uh, I mean obviously Anna's literally knocking on a door to try to get to Elsa and asking for her love through the door and so she's saying love is an open door right and in Disneyland we didn't watch this but uh, I kind of wish we had because it's fun Disneyland has well not anymore it's been canceled because of the pandemic but for a while they had a live show of Frozen called Frozen Live at the Hyperion. And it was kind of like the first version of the Broadway musical. And the finale of the Broadway musical is Let It Go, obviously. It's a reprise of Let It Go. But in Frozen Live at the Hyperion, the finale is a reprise of Love is an Open Door. And I love that. Because you actually have the king and queen are up off to the side, and Elsa and Anna look up to them, and they sing the line... Something, I think it's altered, but it's basically the line, you don't have to feel it anymore. And then the cast finishes with love is an open door. And that's the finale. And I love that so much. Yeah, that's good. That's good. But anyway. So Hans takes advantage of Anna's naivete. And at the end of this song, he proposes and she accepts because she's a diehard romantic. And they go to find Elsa to ask for her blessing on their marriage and elsa says um no absolutely not you can't marry a man you just met that's crazy which i feel like is a little bit of a little bit of disney self-awareness oh peppered throughout this movie yeah yeah 100 percent. and so that is kind of what sets anna off because before hans was was there before she had the thing with hans she had like kind of a conversation a nice conversation with elsa it's one of the first that they've ever had where they're both kind of like awkward because they clearly don't know each other very well anymore but they're like starting to kind of build that bridge back to getting to know each other again and then elsa kind of shuts it down and closes it off because elsa has this realization that for the past however many years she's just been thinking about coronation day and getting through coronation day and then she has this realization that it's not just coronation day now it's it's every day like this isn't an ending that i thought it was there's no relief i have to keep you know doing this Mm, yeah this is the beginning and so then when she refuses to allow their marriage and she says the party's over and she's going to tell everybody to leave the palace anna kind of snaps and she goes why are you like this why do you do this to me i don't understand what happened she grabs Elsa's glove, Elsa freaks out and loses control of her magic. And sends up a wall of ice spikes. Yes. And and that, of course, freaks everybody out. And the Duke of Weaselton slash Wesselton accuses her of sorcery. And Elsa is terrified, obviously. And so she runs away. Yeah. And as she runs away, she, she crosses this fjord and her ice spreads until it overcomes the entire kingdom. But that's happening as she's running away. So she doesn't see that happening. Yeah, she doesn't know that that's happening. Yeah, yeah. And so um, Anna decides that she is going to go after Elsa to try to help her. And she leaves Hans in charge of Arendelle. And then we get Let It Go. And then we get Let It Go. Okay, I want to talk about Elsa. Let's talk about Elsa. Yeah, talk about Elsa for sure. I have a lot of Elsa feelings. So obviously Elsa is a very popular character. And I have spent a lot of time pondering why. What is it about Elsa that resonated with everybody for so long? And for me, personally, 
I started with myself. Like, why did I relate to Elsa? And I read Elsa's struggle with her powers as a metaphor for a struggle that is very common in the LGBTQ plus community. Because she's told, you know, conceal don't feel so much to the point that that becomes her motto. And she's told that her powers are dangerous and no one can ever know about them. And that's what it feels like to be closeted. You know, it's dangerous. It's your darkest secret and you don't want anyone to ever know. And this is why Elsa can't accept Anna's offers to build a snowman. She doesn't have a choice because her parents are putting gloves on her hands. They're telling her, conceal it, don't feel it, don't let it show. And Elsa's powers are only growing and it becomes a bigger and bigger deal until she can't control it. And in the musical, she even has a line, young uh, Elsa, has a line where she says, I can't laugh, I can't cry, I can't dream, I can't live without it bursting out. And if you talk to any queer person, I I bet you this line will resonate with them. It resonates with me. You can see it in people. You can see the difference in someone before they come out and after they come out and how Oftentimes, you know, their their body language is stiff. They can't beat themselves. They can't laugh. They can't laugh their true laugh. And, and they, they keep their feelings stifled. And after coming out, usually, and sometimes gradually, they can relax. You know, you see them laugh their true laugh and you see them cry and they can dream and they can live because now they aren't in danger of that secret bursting out because now it's out. And the line, the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. You know, that's the fear that, you know, the fear that controlled me, the thing that I thought about 24-7, the thing I've been holding in that held its grip over me and had control over me, uh, over every move I made. I am now liberated from that fear. And that's, that is so powerful. And um, the Broadway show adds another song for Elsa that we can talk about more later, but it's called Monster. And it implies suicidal thoughts. She's literally singing in Monster about, will this all go away if I die? And, you know, I, I can't bring all of this up without, you know, discussing the frequency of suicide and suicidal thoughts in young queer people. And that just like really solidifies this connection for me. I don't know how intentional this was, but I I think it's very clearly there for me. And so obviously this is not all relatable to everybody because not everybody is part of the queer community. So I was trying to dig deeper and figure out what is it because I've seen people say that they see Elsa as a metaphor for other things as well. Mental illness and depression, anxiety, even autism. Like people see, this is what it comes down to, I think, is that Elsa represents overcoming our insecurities. We all have something inside of us and Elsa embodies the ability to accept whatever that thing is, and furthermore, acknowledge and turn that thing into power and beauty and creation. And I think that is why Elsa resonates with so many people. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think there's so much validity in that because I think her her resonance is with anybody who's ever felt like they didn't fit into a larger picture. Or who was yes. told that some piece of you isn't acceptable for whatever yes. reason. And exactly. I think queerness is definitely one of the most obvious, but it can resonate beyond that too. Because it's, you know, maybe you were told that what you liked was too nerdy. Or, you know, anybody who has felt like they were being forced to stifle part of who they were in order to be accepted or liked. I think is going to see that resonance in Elsa. 
And I, th- I think that is what makes her a really powerful character. And I know that there was a lot of kind of frustration a bit in with the sequel of people really want Elsa to have a queer love interest. And like, I'm here for that too. But I, I think what Frozen 2 is really about building off of Frozen 1 is that Elsa has to learn how to love herself first. Mm-hmm. And that that's really Absolutely. the journey in Frozen 2 is Frozen 1, she learns to embrace who she is and what she can do. But in Frozen 2, she learns to love it and celebrate it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is a journey that resonates with a lot of people. And I think that's why she is such a, a character that people have kind of latched onto. Yeah. I think most people see themselves as the underdog, no matter what situation you're in. I'm a big fan of the TV show Survivor. And there are people in that show who are like all-star football players, and they still resonate with you know, you know, like that's not someone that you would think of as an underdog, obviously, especially in Survivor, which is a very physical show. But those people still relate to the underdog and still vote for the underdog in the end because they feel that the underdog represents their story just as much as or or, or more than somebody who was playing from the top. And I, I think that is the same thing here where Elsa is an underdog. And I think probably 99% of people see themselves as an underdog. And and that's what makes her so relatable. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that there's also just a lot of power in the fact that everyone is afraid of her except for Anna. And even though Anna is upset with what happened, she's immediately like, I'm going to go after her. I'm going to follow her mm-hmm. because she's not dangerous. She's my sister. Which are not necessarily mutually exclusive terms, but... <laughs> I do like that even though she doesn't remember why their relationship fell apart, she wants that relationship back. And so she actively goes and seeks out Mm, her sister. Literally. And I think that that's a powerful story as well. And I think it's also a really fascinating and needed twist on the classic fairy tale love story. That it's not a prince going and following and searching for it's not it's not like taking the glass slipper and finding cinderella it's a sister who's doing it but you still have that element of somebody loves you enough to go fight for you and somebody loves you enough to go find you yeah and this was happening like this was being written around the same time that other media was doing that right we've talked about this before where maleficent came out shortly before this once upon a time was airing at this time this idea of true love that is not romantic love still breaking the spell was very prominent at this time. And I think it continues to be and will continue to be, but this was like at the time that that was like a new idea and everybody was getting in on it. And I think it's lovely that they did it with siblings because most of what we were seeing before that was a parent and child. And so, um, yeah, I just, I really love Elsa as a character <laughs> and uh, yeah. I really love their relationship. I think that's easily the strongest thing about this story. Absolutely. So Anna sets off um, in her coronation gown. And so eventually she like needs better accommodations. So she finds this outpost. It's run by a guy named Oaken, who's just a real small comedic character in the movie. The musical decided he needed his own song. I have thoughts about that that we'll get to. 
<laughs> oh, I can't wait for that. But he's basically just there to be like, yes, I can sell you winter clothes. Yeah, it's a costume change. <laughs> yeah, costume change. And Chris, this is where we meet kind of grown up Kristoff. We meet him a little bit earlier, but yeah. this is... But this is when Anna meets him, for sure. This is when Anna meets Kristoff. And so he is trying to buy carrots for his reindeer and there's price gouging going on. So he leaves, but Anna buys the carrots for him so that she can kind of talk him into taking her up the mountain to find her sister. Yeah. Uh, They have this conversation in the slide. I don't understand this obsession that they have with making Kristoff gross. Like they're always commenting on how smelly he is. He talks about like all men pick their noses and eat it. Like it's peppered throughout Everything until Frozen 2. Frozen 2 mostly drops it, I think. But it is so weird to me that they're obsessed with making him gross. And don't get me started on Fixer Upper when they talk about his unmanly blondness. How is being blonde unmanly? Especially in Scandinavia. Yeah. Like, what were they thinking writing that line? That is, like, a bizarre choice. Yeah, I don't know. It's changed in the musical because he's not blonde, but... They have this weird obsession with making him gross. But anyway, Kristoff and Anna get chased by wolves. They they jump over this cliff thing. And then we meet... And then we meet Olaf. Before we meet Olaf, they do also have a conversation about... Uh, Hans. He reiterates, like, you were going to marry someone that you just met. Right. Like, yeah. he's kind of on Elsa's side with, like, that's yeah. crazy. You don't know anything about him. And Anna's like, no, it's true love. You know true love when it happens to you. And so, again, it's it's kind of she's all in on this typical Disney ideal. Mm-hmm. And then there's these other voices saying, yeah, that's... That's a little sketchy. Yeah. Um, but, yes, yeah, so they get chased by wolves. They lose the sled. And then we meet Olaf. And my note is, seriously, why is there a talking snowman in my Snow Queen retelling? Does Olaf serve any purpose beyond merchandising because i don't think he does i think you could cut him from this movie make a few minor tweaks and things would still stand fine cassie doesn't your favorite version of the snow queen have a talking polar bear i knew you were gonna bring that up Mm -hmm. uh yes it does it does yes yeah yeah, you're correct yeah i would say olaf serves way more purpose than your talking polar bear I'm not arguing that my talking polar bear serves any purpose at all. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Here's the thing, though. Okay, I, in general, find Olaf annoying. Because as you can imagine, being at Disney World from 2013 to 2017, I had so much Olaf shoved in my face. So in general, I find him annoying. However, I will say this. In the last two days, I have watched Frozen, Frozen 2, Frozen Fever, Olaf's Frozen Adventure, Once Upon a Snowman, Olaf Presents, all of these additional things. And I chuckled at Olaf the whole way through. I didn't think I would, but he genuinely made me laugh. I like him better in Frozen 2 than I do in Frozen 1. He did not irritate me as much this watch around as I remember him irritating me in the past. But I do think his his main purpose in the movie is for merchandising rights. Like It's to make the kids laugh. We need a character that kids will latch on to. Yeah. I also don't like In Summer at all. No, I it's, agree it's, with you. It, it, it's a worthless song. It brings everything to a, a full stop. It's not so bad in the movie, but in the musical, I was like, oh my god. Oh gosh. my god. They make it longer. It's it, it just brings everything to a screeching halt. Yeah. Everything that Olaf does, quote unquote, like every kind of plot purpose that he serves 
could easily be served another way. Yeah, I do think that the conversation with him after the Hans twist is like his biggest contribution. Yes. I do think Anna needed somebody there to tell her, hey, Kristoff is in love with you. And I don't know what other character could have served that purpose. (sighs) What I dislike about that point in the movie is that it takes away a lot of Anna's agency for herself. Like, I would much rather have her come to that conclusion on her own. I I just don't know how you do that in this format without her talking to somebody. Like, if it was a book. That's fair. I think if it was a book, I think you could do it with the musical. um, Yeah, yeah, because you can can give her a song. But but in a movie, you need her talking to somebody. So, I I mean, at the end of the day, they were going to put in a goofy sidekick. Originally, Olaf was supposed to be... A henchman of evil Elsa. But when Elsa became good, they they swapped it so that he was a sidekick to Anna instead. But I I just feel like at the end of the day, you were going to have this character no matter what. It's a Disney movie. But anyway. Um, But yeah, so we do eventually find Elsa's ice palace. I have a note that says, thank you for eventually remembering that ice is slippery. Because they're just like, they're climbing the ice staircase and walking across the floor with no problems. And then at one point, Anna stumbles a little bit and I'm like, okay, there it is. That's funny. I didn't even think about that. Ice is slippery, guys. Like, they have the whole thing with Sven can't climb because he keeps sliding down, but nobody else has any problems. And then there's a really interesting moment when when Anna gets to Elsa's palace. And this was – I had forgotten this was in the movie. I thought this was an addition for the musical. They sing to each other. They sing this reprise of For the First Time in Forever and Conceal Don't Feel that they mm-hmm. sing earlier. And I don't think it works in the movie. It felt very odd and out of place to me. And I was trying to think about why. And I think it's because in Disney movie musicals, you don't have songs that aren't songs. Yeah, okay. Right? In a stage musical, you're going to have like those kind of sung conversations that kind of call back to other songs that happen, the reprises. But in Disney movie musicals, typically, you don't have that. If a song is a song, it's going to stand on its own completely. And so here to have them all of a sudden start singing this back and forth that was very stage musical, it felt very jarring to me. Maybe it doesn't feel jarring to anybody else, but to me as a musical theater person, it felt odd. That's interesting. I I, I see what you're saying. I have a case against this, though. It is that the version of the Broadway musical that I saw cut this song. And there's a different song oh. instead that Anna and Elsa sing. And it was added. It wasn't there initially. So it's not on the Broadway soundtrack. But it was added in like February of 2020 when they brought in the new cast with Sierra Renee and uh, a couple other new new characters or new actors. And I'm You watched a different one than I did then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's called I Can't Lose You. And so they sing this song called I Can't Lose You. The song ends. And then this moment where Anna... And Elsa are like kind of arguing and Elsa gets riled up and accidentally hits Anna again happens through dialogue. And it is odd. Maybe if you had written better dialogue, it would have worked better. But knowing that like that moment is initially a song and then seeing it play out through dialogue instead, that was super jarring to me. It's very weird. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't like it. Inter- and that's not the Broadway version that I watched. Yeah. So, so we'll have a couple of Interesting change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Anna is not able to convince Elsa to come. She gets struck this time in the heart. 
Elsa sends a giant, like, demon snowman after them. Yeah, Marshmallow. Who, Marshmallow, yes, we've just collectively decided to call him Marshmallow because Olaf calls him Marshmallow at one point. It's fine. They're, they're running, they almost fall over a cliff, but the rope saves them and they're, that rope was maybe six feet long when they bought it in Oakens and now it's like 40 feet long, but it's fine. And, and I, I had a, I had a question pop up when I was watching this. Okay. When Kristoff takes Anna to the trolls later and he's like, oh, I, I know people who know all about this. I've seen them do it before. Does he know that the kids he saw, like the thing that he saw when he was a little kid was Anna and Elsa? Like, has he made that connection? Because I feel like that's a conversation that should be had. That is a great question. You know, when you bring up questions like this, I try to give you an answer. I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> Because he definitely should know. Right, because, like, the trolls say it's the king. Yeah, it, like, he absolutely should know. But it's not addressed at all. Maybe he forgot. No, no, he didn't forget because he literally says that he's seen it happen before. Yeah. So he should he should theoretically even know about Elsa's powers. Well, I don't know how yes. much of the conversation he actually witnesses at the beginning. Yeah, I don't either. But it's, it's, inter- but it's anyway, interesting. This is- I want somebody to explore that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So yes, Kristoff is going to take Anna to the trolls, my favorite. And the trolls are obsessed with setting up Kristoff with Anna. They want them to get married. So they sing the song Fixer Upper, which is all about how you can change people. But you can't really change people, but you can change people. There's some weird mixed messages happening in the song. Like it's upbeat and it's kind of a bop. And then you start listening to the lyrics and you're like, I don't know if this is actually Hmm. a great song. Yeah, but it it is catchy, so, you know, I'll give him that. But Grandpabby, the leader of the Trolls, shows up after the song and tells Anna that there is ice in her heart now. Oh, that's a line from the beginning that we skipped over that I really like, where he says, like, um, it's a good thing that, like, the ice got to her head and not her heart because the heart is not easily changed, but the head can be persuaded. Yeah. I think that's such a, that yeah, that's a, such a cute little line. Yeah, yeah. But this time there is ice in her heart and only an act of true love can thaw a frozen heart. And this is where we get to my Venn diagram. I sent you this while I was watching the movie. Yes, yes. Go on. I made a Venn diagram at this point of Frozen in one circle and the Snow Queen story in the other circle. And in the overlap, there are two things. One is a queen with ice powers and the other is only an act of true love can thaw a frozen heart. I mean, that's where our stories overlap. As we've already established, there are at least a couple other things that overlap. You got to give me the reindeer. If you're going to include a queen with ice powers, <laughs> there's a reindeer at the very Sven least. Sven exists. Okay, fine. But yeah, so Kristoff kind of comes to this conclusion of only an act of true love. We have to get you back to Hans. Yes. And so off we go back to Arendelle. Meanwhile, Hans and his men have found Elsa's ice palace. They fight Marshmallow. And they capture Elsa and and take her back to Arendelle. Hans asks Elsa, she's like all locked up, and he asks her to stop the winter and bring back summer. And she tells him that she can't. And um, we cut to Kristoff bringing Anna into the palace. And she is received by two servants. Cassie, do you know the names of these two servants? I do, because closed captioning told me their names are Kai and Gerda. How do you feel about that? It's fine, I guess, because this isn't a Snow Queen retelling. 
<laughs> and so it can just be a nice little nod to the origins of the story. And also, like, literally the only way that you know their names are Kai and Gerda is if you watch with closed captioning mm-hmm, or you yeah. read the cast list at the end in the credits. Yeah, it doesn't bother me, which is interesting because it has bothered me in other versions when they do that. I think you're right. It's partly because this isn't really Snow Queen anyway, but it's also because, like, this Kai and Gerda in no way resemble our original Kai and Gerda. There's no, no way uh, that you could mistake their roles in this story. So it's a nice little nod instead of being frustrating. Yeah. But yeah. So Kristoff yells for you got to find Hans. You got to bring him here. And then he leaves with Sven and Sven is angry. And throughout the whole movie, again, if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but Sven has, you know, emotions and facial expressions and communication, but Kristoff is like talking for him. He like has a fake Sven voice. And at this point, like Sven is clearly frustrated with him and is like growling and snorting and stomping. And the funniest joke in the entire movie is when Kristoff goes, I don't understand you when you talk like that. (laughs) I think it is the funniest line (laughs) in the entire thing. Wow. I didn't didn't even remember that line. But that is a good joke. I think it's hilarious. Uh, So, meanwhile... (laughs) Hans comes in and Anna's like, only an act of love can save me. You got to kiss me. And Hans is like, no, I'm a bad guy. If only someone loved you. Yeah. When you first watch it, if you don't know what's going to happen and you first watch that moment, it is like a. (gasps) People didn't explicitly spoil it for me, but someone I worked with was like, he saw it before I did, and he was like, you got to see this movie. It's so good. There was one part that is so shocking. You're never going to see it coming. And, like, the moment he said that, I was like, oh, Hans is a bad guy. Like, like just the way he told me projected it. And I was so frustrated because I don't like spoilers. But anyway. Yeah. This moment is really interesting in the musical. Because in the musical, everybody already knows the twist. So it, this moment plays very differently it it felt really rushed to me like hans is in and out yeah i don't know that's just how i felt i don't know it didn't specifically bother me but okay okay but i do think it's interesting it is it is interesting when you're doing an adaptation like that like adapting a a movie that everybody has seen to like stage or to any other medium when the twist is already known like you approach it differently knowing that people are going to be aware of it for the most part yeah but it doesn't feel to me like they adjusted for that at all. Right. But yeah. anyway, Hans is out the door and Olaf is in. Yeah, Olaf comes in. Hans has extinguished all the lights. He's taken on his blanket. Like he's ensured that she's going to freeze faster. Mm-hmm. Um, And Olaf comes in. And here's my question. Because we we are purposefully misunderstanding an act of true love can thaw frozen heart through the whole thing. Like they're assuming, oh, Hans has to kiss you or... Then when she's like, oh, Kristoff's in love with me, like, oh, I have to go find Kristoff. Do you think that it was always her own act of true love would have to break the curse? Because otherwise, wouldn't Kristoff's sacrifice have done it? Wouldn't Olaf's willingness to melt to give her fire have been enough to break the curse? I did think about Olaf. I don't think Kristoff's act of true love taking her back to Hans I don't think that's big enough okay and then with Olaf his sacrifice wouldn't have been for anything 
he yeah he's willing to sit there and melt for anna but there's no reason for him to sit there and melt for anna it wouldn't have accomplished anything for him to do that right i I know what you're saying but i think like it needed to be a sacrificial act of true love and it needed to be big well and i like the interpretation that it's her it needs to be an act of true love from her oh i see what you're saying like like that it has to be her act of true love to thaw her own right right uh Um, that's a good question like if if elsa had sacrificed herself to save anna would that have been enough right would that have Hmm, worked that's a good question i do think it needed to come from anna actually because i don't see how someone else's actions would you know thaw her heart something that i think is very interesting is that they intentionally set this up for the audience to believe that Kristoff was going to be the act of true love so they wanted the audience to already think Kristoff is going to be the act of true love not hans before the twist happens then the twist happens you're heading to Kristoff, and so then they could subvert the audience's second expectation like like they never wanted the audience to think that hans was going to be the true love even though the audience didn't think it was a villain they still or didn't know that hans was a villain they still wanted the audience to think ah i'm i'm ahead of the game it's gonna be Kristoff. but in fact they're not ahead of the game because it's actually anna yeah but and i think that that's really smartly done because like for as much as anna's in love with hans quote unquote um we don't spend any time with him right she leaves and she goes off with Kristoff and there's constantly that messaging of you can't marry a man you just met. How do you know that that's true love? So it's like, it's very obvious that the end game couple in this movie is Kristoff and Anna. So I think you're right. Like there, there's like a double kind of sleight of hand going on, mm-hmm. which I think is really like, you always know that it's going to be Anna and Kristoff and not Anna and Hans, but then Hans is a villain and not just like, the guy that she says, oh, no, not you. Very smart storytelling. Very smart storytelling. But that's that's what happens. She leaves. She's trying to get to Kristoff. And then when Hans tells Elsa that Anna is dead, that's when Anna is finally able to, like, quiet the snow and quiet the storm. And everything clears. And Anna can see that Hans is about to kill her sister. And so she runs to get in front of the sword and that's when she freezes all the way because of Elsa's magic. And then Elsa grieves. And and I think it's honestly, you can make an argument that it's a little bit of both. It's Anna's act of sacrifice, but it's also Elsa's grief mm. for the loss. Mm, that's interesting. Like showing that the love she had for her sister has always been there and has always been a part of her, even though she wasn't really able to express it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. But... All is well because Anna is going to come back to life. She's going to mention this statement that's been said many times that love will thaw a frozen heart. And so Elsa realizes that the love inside her is enough to stop the winter. So she's able to bring back summer and we punch Hans. Anna marries Kristoff. Everybody ice skates. They don't get married yet. They just kiss. Well, oh yeah, yeah. They kiss. Okay, you're right. Uh, Everybody ice skates and they all live happily ever after. Yay. Yay. And that's Frozen. That is Frozen. So they they did the Disney thing and they took their successful Disney movie and they translated it to a relatively successful Disney stage musical. And I do think that for the most part, the the changes that they made are improvements. Mm -hmm. I say for the most part, In Summer did not need to be extended. 
And Oaken did not need a song of his own. And he certainly didn't need the longest song in the show. It's so long. I hate it a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, So let's talk about some of the changes that the musical made. The first one that I noted was that the trolls are gone and they are replaced with the hidden people of the North Mountain, who are basically human beings, but with tails. Yes. Which is fine. They serve the same role as the trolls. Yeah, nothing's really changed. It's just that they're people. I think it's an interesting connection. And I don't know that it was intentional because I don't know what the timeline is. But it was also kind of an interesting connection to the sequel because it is their mother that summons them. Yes. She has a little musical motif that she sings to bring them there. And now they're the hidden people of the North, which is from the sequel where Anna and Elsa's mother is from. So I don't know if that was intentional or if one was informing the other. But we get a prologue, a musical sung prologue. Um, for the stage mm-hmm. musical that kind of mm-hmm. establishes all of this. And it really introduces a lot of motifs and it introduces a lot of important character information in a, a pretty short period of time. I thought it, it established like what you need to know musically very well. Yeah, there are a lot of new songs. Like Beauty and the Beast yes. adds a few songs. This adds like 12 new songs. Yeah, there's quite a few. Hans gets a solo that I really like. Mm, I really like Hans. They they really play up the younger brother aspect to Hans, I think. Yeah. I, I really like him in the musical. I like what they've done with him. His his songs are fun. Yes. I love Queen Anointed, mm. which is the coronation song. Yes. It's just these huge choral harmonies. Yes. It feels like somebody's alma mater, but better. It does. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Like musically, it's a beautiful song. And the musical lets us into Elsa's head a lot more than the movie does. One of the things I think that the musical benefits from is it really makes Anna and Elsa kind of shared main characters carrying the story. Mm -hmm. Whereas the movie, Anna really is the central character. Like you get some moments with Elsa, but you don't really get into her head a lot. The musical lets us into her head more. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I really like Dangerous to Dream, which is the song she's singing while she's being crowned because it shows us that she yearns for a relationship with Anna as much as Anna yearns for a relationship with her. And that's something that's not, I think, clearly established in the movie. I I mean, I think it's there, but this makes it very clear. Yeah, very clear, very obvious. I want to talk about Sven for a second. Because I think I can I, I talked about in our Into the Woods month, I talked about how human Milky White is terrible. But Sven works really well. And there's two reasons. I think one is that Milky White is written as a prop. And Sven is written to actually interact with the human characters in a way that Milky White does not. And the other reason is that the costume is so good that you forget it's a person. It really does disguise the fact that it's a person. It feels like a puppet. And I think that that's enhanced by the fact that Olaf is also a puppet. And this is the kind of puppetry that I want to see from Beauty and the Beast. We mm-hmm. talked about that mm-hmm. in our, our Disney Beauty and the Beast episode, that I want to see these like half human sized puppets for like the enchanted objects. This is what I'm talking about. I really like the puppetry design of Olaf. I think it works very see, well. This is interesting because I 
did not like Olaf. You don't like it? No, no, because because he's the only one. Like in The Lion King, everybody is interpreted in that way. So you buy into that as part of the world in The Lion King Broadway musical. But Olaf being the only character that's presented as like a human, you see the physical human operating the puppet. It didn't work for me, which is weird because it didn't bother me in Frozen Live at the Hyperion. So maybe it's something about the specific puppet that I just didn't (laughs) resonate with. Maybe, but like, I think that it's okay for him to be the only one because Olaf is in a category by himself in terms of the characters in this movie. Yeah, that's true. Because he is the only entity that, (laughs) that is, you know, created by magic. He's a snowman. And I think having a full sized human. Olaf would have been terrifying. Oh, I agree. Because he exists at the Disney parks and he is terrifying. So I would rather have the puppet. They also, they let Kristoff sing in the musical, which I am so grateful for. And this is what I absolutely find fascinating. I love comparing Anna and Kristoff's duet to Anna and Hans's duet. Because Love is an Open Door is very much a solo shared between two people. There's not a lot of like harmonies going on. The only time they go into any harmonies is the love is an open door. And you've got the one person going down and the other person sustaining. But for the most part, it's like, here's a line of music and you're going to sing these words and the other person's going to sing these words. And so it's, it's too unified almost. Whereas with Kristoff, it's really a back and forth. And then when they get into the chorus of the, what do you know about love? They've got these great harmonies that Mm. they're singing against each other wow wow that's so interesting it's beautifully done and i i love it i also really just love the song the what do you know about love it's so fun it's such a fun song and anna is singing her perspective which is when it's love it just works and that's what everybody wants and Kristoff's like nope love is work you have to work at it mm-hmm. and i like that they don't turn his perspective into like Ugh, true love doesn't exist love yeah. at first sight doesn't exist his perspective is just like love is real but it's it's work it's not something you just fall into you have to like actually commit to it yes yeah wow yeah that's very well put i love that um my next note i'm excited to share with you is about anna's dress and the soldier finding anna's dress did you catch this that the soldier brings it back yes yes so um when anna runs into kristoff She's like in her coronation dress still and she's all frozen. And so he gives her his like spare set of clothes. And so they just leave the dress behind. And so in in the movie, Anna's horse leaves her and goes back to Arendelle. And that's how Hans knows to go after Anna, right? And in this, yeah. a soldier finds the dress and brings it back to Arendelle. And so that's what triggers Hans's decision to go after her. And this is... The exact replacement that happens in Beauty and the Beast, where in the original movie, Maurice gets to the castle and Philippe runs back to the village. And so that's what triggers Belle to go to the castle. And in the musical, instead, LeFou finds Maurice's scarf in the woods Mm -hmm. and, and Belle sees the scarf and that's what sends her after Maurice. I thought that was so interesting that in both cases, we replace the horse with a found clothing article. Which, yeah, I think that's really smart. I think it makes sense. It works perfectly. My note at this point is, 
you know, we streamlined away from Oaken so seamlessly where she just meets Kristoff on the mountain and he has clothes for her to wear. It was so beautifully done. So why then do we circle back around to Oaken? You know why? We got to put Anna in that blue and We got to put Anna in the Anna dress. Yep. I know. That's why. But my, my note for that is there's no way that the other outfit wasn't warmer. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense for her to change. One of the things that I was genuinely impressed with as I watched this is how they translate the movie to the stage by using the stage elements. So we've talked before about when you're transitioning medium, you have to use what's the strength of that medium. Mm -hmm. And I felt like they they did that very well, especially in terms of how they're using their ensemble. And I'm going to talk more about that at the end. I don't remember exactly what that was in in reference to before, but um, I think that they use how physical in-person theater staging works very well in their transition from screen to stage. Yeah. So in the version I watched, the next note I have is that, like I mentioned before, the song I Can't Lose You replaces the first time in forever reprise. But we sacrifice a song for that. We sacrifice another song. Can you guess what song gets cut? No. True Love. That's right. I knew that they cut that song and I was so mad about it because it's my favorite song in the show. I know. So True Love doesn't come next. Next we get Monster, which is an amazing song. I talked about it a little bit earlier. Did you have anything you wanted to say about Monster before we get to True Love? Monster is a better song than Let It Go. A subjective opinion, for sure. But I love them both. I I like it more. Um, And I also think it's really interesting that this song is like the inverse of No Good Deed from Wicked. Oh, I love In a way that. that I think is really fascinating. So in, in Wicked, Alphaba spends the whole show trying to do good things and they end up like backfiring because of the machinations of other people around her. And so eventually she reaches a point where she sings No Good Deed, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished, where her eventual conclusion is, all right, fine. If everybody thinks I'm a villain, then I'm just going to be a villain. I'm just going to embrace it. And that's what they're going to get. And it's exactly the same as uh, Build a Wall from Shrek. (laughs) They're the same song. And I love that. (laughs) Monster is like the inverse of that. Because being a villain is Elsa's greatest fear. Mm. And Monster is really her singing like, am I a villain? I've tried really hard not to be, but am I anyway? Like just by existing. Wow. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. Also, before we get to Monster, we have Kristoff taking Anna to the Trolls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gets a reprise yes, of yes. the song that he sang before, which is What Do You Know About Love? It's called Kristoff's Lullaby. And it's him talking about Anna and her strength. And um, it ends with You're What I Know About Love, which is just a beautiful kind of flip of their script and their narrative. In the version that I saw... This is interesting coming off of what we were saying earlier about how, like, by the time you see the musical, you all know the twist about Hans. Yeah. In the version that I saw when he had his line about if only someone out there loved you, there was, like, gasping from the theater. Like, really? people were shocked. Yes. And my note is, what? what is this gasping? Did you not see this movie? Wow. That's so interesting. In Like, my- there were audible reactions from the audience wow. of shock. In mine, it, it was dead silent. Like, no one reacted at all. That is so interesting. Because uh, how does anybody not know that at this point? But, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but then we get True Love, which has been cut, apparently, 
in the most recent iteration of the Broadway musical, and I'm so mad about it because it is my favorite song in the show. And it is Anna alone in the room after Hans has left her to die. And it's her singing about everybody's been right. True love. I believed in true love and this is where it got me. And it starts off being very much this kind of song of defeat and her kind of accepting like this is how my life ends. I'm going to die. I'm going to freeze in this room and all because I made this mistake because I was looking for a fairy tale. But it doesn't stay in the defeated place. It ends with, I don't think I was wrong to believe in true love. I think I was wrong in the person, but I have to continue to believe that true love is real and that it exists. And it's such a beautiful, powerful song of growth for Anna that I think she needs. I agree. I think and I love it a lot. Something that happens now in Disney movies is when they make them a musical – the music stops after like the two thirds mark. Like in, in Frozen, the last song is the first time in Forever Reprise. I don't think there's another song after that in the movie. And no, I don't think there is. Yeah. And, and that's so sad, especially because like, you know, you think of the Disney Renaissance, the movies in the 90s that have these beautiful grand finales. And if you're making a musical in musicals, emotional peaks are when you sing and the climax of the story should be your emotional peak. So your climax should typically be a song and that's really missing from most Disney movie musicals now. And I do think that when they translate them to the stage, they've done a good job of inserting songs at those moments when they, when they need to be there. Well, and I think it's important for Anna to have this song too, because so Anna so frequently is just a comedic relief character. And I think that mm. this song gives her the depth that she needs yeah. to be more than that. This song reminds me of The Next Right Thing from Frozen 2. Yes. Which is a yes. song that They're people, very similar. Yeah. People make fun of that song because it's pretty dark for a Disney movie, which is fine. I, I, love I get that. that song. But it is a beautiful song and perfect for Anna in that moment. And I think yeah. reflects the growth of not only Anna, but also the audience of Frozen. Um, yes. That's a really fun thing I think about Frozen 2 is they did a good job of maturing it with its audience. And there's a nice little joke where Olaf literally looks at the screen and sings, you all look a little bit older. Um, yeah. And so I think they did a good job with that with Anna. And But I do think that if you're going to do the musical and the musical is only going to be the first one, you need that moment for Anna to happen here and not in a sequel yeah. that would not exist on the stage. Ugh. <laughs> so mad that it's cut. I know. The finale sequence to this musical, I think, is one of the best examples of using your medium to its fullest. The fact that they take the ensemble and they let the ensemble be the storm yes. that the four characters are caught in to the point where when Anna runs to save Elsa and freezes, it is the ensemble members who are part of her frozen statue yes it's so cool it is both aesthetic but it's also a very practical move because she's gone into like the frozen gear so she's all washed out in color but when she unfreezes she needs to be back to full color yes and so that using the ensemble to pass her into that moment is where they're taking off those washed out like the washed out wig and the washed out costume pieces so that when she unfreezes and the ensemble falls away. She's back to full color. It is so good. And it's good. such a smart yeah, I, 
use of theatrical staging, I geeked out real hard. Yeah, yeah. I was really curious about how this moment translated to the stage. How how would they possibly do that? And they didn't try to trick you. They used the fact that it's on stage to make the moment work. And it's, it is really well done. It's what I love about theater. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. It reminds me... Not to toot my own horn too much. It reminded me of how I staged the finale of Honk when I directed it. Oh, interesting. Because in Honk is Honk is the story of the ugly duckling. And at near the end, the ugly duckling, who's in his like ugly duckling outfit, he gets caught in a snowstorm and buried under snow. And that's when his mother finds him. And then when he kind of wakes back up, that's when he needs to have transformed into a swan. But he has to be on stage the whole time. Right. And so it's like, how do I work this transformation? And so what we did is we had these long sheets of white fabric. And the my ensemble, my Greek chorus ensemble, during the song when they're singing, they swirled this white fabric around him. And I had stagehands sneak in to change his clothes, basically, in the middle of that, like, tornado of fabric. And then what the stagehands left... And the ensemble covered him in the white fabric so that when he emerged from it, he was in his full white swan outfit. Yeah, that's smart. It's funny that you use the word tornado because this sequence really reminded me of many staged versions of The Wizard of Oz where they put the ensemble in like flowy costumes and they send them on stage to be the tornado. That's, That's what I thought of when I was watching the sequence. So yeah, do you have any... Further thoughts on Frozen the Musical? Frozen the Musical, I think, is worth watching. It's good. I think it improves almost all of the minor shortcomings of the movie, again, with the exception of Oaken's song. <laughs> it's just awful. Yeah. I, I, I didn't mind it too much until the ensemble does, like, a naked kick line. Yeah, but they're not naked. Like, they're all just wearing bodysuits. It's so weird for a Disney children's musical. And I just look at it and I'm like, who did you want to cast? What Broadway performer did you want to cast as Oaken? And you needed to sell him on the role by saying he was going to get a big song. I mean, I see why you don't want to cut the character because he is a pretty iconic character. And so it makes sense to want to give him a song. It didn't bother me that much. It does bother me that it is so long. And also something we didn't mention is that they do a really good job of rearranging some of the scenes in Act 1. Because when Elsa runs away... In the movie, you go with Elsa and you get to let it go. But in the musical, they stick with Anna and we see Anna meet Kristoff and all this. And that way, let it go can be the act one finale, which I think is very smart because you want that big moment for for the act one finale. And it it works. It works well. The onstage transformation of her dress is chef's kiss. Beautiful. Yeah. How can we not mention? It is amazing. And it's not your typical onstage dress transformation either. And so... It's very unique. Yeah. I know how they do it. Like, I'm pretty sure I know how they do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a use of, you know, holes in the stage and a lot of dry ice to cover them. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And uh, lots of magnets. But it's a really cool reveal. The whole Let It Go sequence is so good on stage. The way that they get the glove to flow away and then the cape to fly away, just like the movie, is very cool to watch. There are professional recordings of First Time and Forever and Let It Go where you can see everything happening very clearly. I encourage you to watch them, especially the Let It Go sequence, because it is... It's beautiful to watch on stage. It's very, very well done. Cassie, did you watch Frozen 2? I did. What are your thoughts on Frozen 2? I really like Frozen 2. Yeah, I do too. Here's the thing. It is full of so many plot holes. Oh, yes. That like, 
you could strain your vegetables in it. It is not a well-crafted story. And yet, I really enjoy it. The color palette is so gorgeous. I cannot stop talking about it. It is beautiful. The animation is incredible, especially compared to, frankly, some not very good animation in the first one. And the songs are bops. I the love the songs in Frozen 2. I watched it with my husband, and he's just sitting beside me the whole time muttering, ice isn't an element. Ice is just an aspect of water. Ice isn't an element. And I'm like, will you stop? Yeah, the whole thing is that, like, she's... She's the fifth element, so apparently the elements are water, earth, fire, air, and snow. I like the overall feel of the movie, and I like the overall messaging of the movie, and so because of that, I'm willing to forgive a lot of other things. I also adore that they finally let Jonathan Groff have a song to sing. Yes. And I love, I love, I love, Kristoff is one of my favorite Disney men, yeah. because he is just anti-toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. so hard and i Mm -hmm. love his role in this story i love that he's allowed to sing a song about big feelings and a a kind of song that is typically given to women yes it's it's so good it's so good i have like one complaint that i want to mention and one uh compliment something i really like so my complaint the whole thing about young aduna like being the one that saves the king. I do not understand why they couldn't just tell Anna and Elsa that Iduna, sa- the, the queen, saved the king when they were little. It doesn't make any sense to not just tell them that it was her. And it annoys the crap out of me that young Aduna looks nothing, nothing <laughs> like adult Aduna. Her hair color is different. Her skin color is different. Her face shape is different. It annoys me so much. Like you don't get to change the looks of the characters just so we we don't see this twist coming and it makes no sense for it to be a twist anyway it wasn't a twist it was super obvious but you're not at least to to, me like there's only so many characters that she could right yeah so i don't understand why they 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 wanted this twist so badly but speaking of aduna show yourself i think is one of the most incredible musical numbers disney has ever put it's film. marvelous. It's marvelous. The moment when Aduna, Aduna's ghost or spirit or whatever, looks down at Elsa and sings, you are the one you've been waiting for all of your life, gives me chills. I cried when I saw it in the movie theater. It is just so, so good. And I don't understand why, well, I do know that they promoted Into the Unknown as the big song from this movie. And that was nominated for the Oscar and stuff. And it's because they had that number set very early on in the process. And they it took them a long time to develop Show Yourself. I get it. But it is so good. It is so much better than Into the Unknown. I love it so much. I... The the documentary on Disney Plus is really worth watching. There's a mm. six-part documentary is, about yeah. the making of, of Frozen 2. And it's a I, wild ride. <laughs> it is. I thought it was absolutely fascinating that they wrote this whole movie with this voice. And they're like, yeah, we don't know who the voice is. Like, for so know who long, the voice they was. didn't know who the voice was. <laughs> it made me lose so much respect for Disney writers. I was like, oh, you guys don't know what you're doing at all. The line, Palpatine returned somehow makes so much sense to me now because they're just making it up as they go yeah but the movie is beautiful it is beautiful it's absolutely gorgeous again building on what we got from the first movie with especially the relationship with the sisters i love that elsa's like you can't just follow me into fire and anna's like if you don't want me to follow you into fire then don't walk into fire (laughs) a great line and it reminds me 
every time I watch it, I I flash to uh, Finding Nemo because there's a line at one point about like, I promise I wouldn't let anything happen to her, which is a line from Finding Nemo, except that in Frozen 2, we don't get the second half of it from Dory, which is, well, that's kind of an awful promise. If nothing ever happened to him, then nothing would ever happen to him. Yeah. But I, I do like that they take the story in that direction with Anna's perspective being, I finally got my sister back. So now I'm not going to lose her again. And it makes her clingy a little bit and it makes her like mm, yeah. not willing to let Elsa go kind of do the things she needs to do. And so like watching that growth, I think was really great. And of course, Next Best Thing was such an incredible, incredible representation of grief. And I, I lost a good friend of mine about a year ago, um, very suddenly to cancer. And she was young and she was a young mother. And, you know, for a while after that happens, everything feels wrong. And we were mm. all like our whole friend group was absolutely shocked and stunned by this and just like in a, a daze and listening to the lyrics of the song, like it captures that feeling so well. Like, yeah. I don't know what else to do. All I can do is keep taking a step and keep doing what seems right in this moment. And I've never experienced a song that so perfectly captured that before. Yeah, it's very well put. So what this movie does well, I think, makes up for the plot holes you can drive a truck through. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I do find it disappointing that the movie ends with Elsa and Anna split. It reminds me of, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, but the frustration I have with the end of Game of Thrones when the Stark children are all sent. You know, we spent seasons waiting for these children to get back together, these siblings to reunite, and then the the series ends with all four of them going off in different directions. And so I, I did think that that was a frustrating ending but they're not completely separated you get the sense that they you know they're in two different places but they are still they're still sisters their relationship will still continue to grow and i like anna as queen of arendelle i think it makes sense because i think elsa never really wanted it in the first place yeah and so like i think that that was a really smart fun like twist yeah and it it makes you sit back and go like listen hans if you'd just been an actually decent person (laughs) And just That's like true. had would. a little bit of patience, you would have been king. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was so close. He didn't even know. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, if you enjoy Frozen, there's plenty more Frozen for you to watch. I listed them earlier. There's so many shorts. Did you watch any of them? I did just to be a completionist. I've seen Frozen Fever. I didn't rewatch sure. it for this, but I have seen it. Um, Chase doesn't like it because he says there are terrifying implications about the extent of Elsa's power that are not addressed. That 100% sounds like something that your husband would say. <laughs> no. He's like, the fact that she can sneeze and create sentient life needs to be talked about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We did watch um, Olaf Presents because we hadn't seen any of that. Yeah. And let me tell you, when that, like, I have not seen my husband laugh that hard in a very long time. Oh, good. <laughs> it's very cute. It's very cute. Olaf Presents is the one where Olaf acts out. Other Disney movies. Um, it, it is cute. There are some good jokes in there. 
I really like Olaf's Frozen Adventure, which is the holiday special. I think the songs, Olaf's song is fine, but the songs, there are two songs that Anna and Elsa sing together that I think are beautiful. And they're on my Christmas playlist because I think they're so gorgeous. Some of the best Frozen songs, honestly. And there are a few others out there. There's Once Upon a Snowman and At Home with Olaf. There's all kinds of Frozen stuff. And, you know, it's been on Disney on Ice. Once Upon a Time featured it. There are books, all kinds of stuff. But Cassie, we always end this episode with Drew's Theme Park Corner. So yes, take us to Drew's Theme Park Corner. Let me tell you about some of the Frozen features in the Disney parks, because I tried to make a complete list, but there's a lot. So obviously you can meet and greet Elsa and Anna in pretty much every park. They have a whole little section in Epcot. They have a ride in Epcot called Frozen Ever After. They're in basically every show and parade that you can possibly imagine. There's a sing-along at Hollywood Studios, which is actually super fun. They also have Frozen Live at the Hyperion is at Disneyland. Well, not Disneyland, actually, at California Adventure. Every Christmas... For years and years and years, Magic Kingdom lights up Cinderella's castle with all of these beautiful white lights. And it's gorgeous. And for many years, the fairy godmother and Cinderella had this little skit where they came out and fairy godmother lit up the castle for Christmas. And a few years after Frozen came out, they replaced that show so that now Anna, Elsa, Olaf, and Kristoff all come out and Elsa is the one who freezes and lights up the castle. And people were very upset to lose the fairy godmother's moment. But you should, if you can find a high quality video of this little show, it is beautiful because they do projection mapping on the castle where Elsa is like, you know, waving her hands around and they do all kinds of beautiful, colorful things. And then it all lights up at the end. And it is, it's beautiful. I love it so much. I, I, I sometimes I miss living in Orlando. Most of the time I don't miss living in, Orla- in Orlando, but huh, I do miss seeing that every year. And then finally, Arendelle is being added to three parks Hong Kong Disneyland, Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris, and Tokyo Disney Sea are all currently being developed with a little Arendelle land. Um, the one at Tokyo Disney Sea is actually going to be part of a, a land called Fantasy Springs, and it will also include the Kingdom of Corona from Tangled and Neverland. So that's my big goal is to get to Tokyo Disney Sea once that is all complete. I'm sure there are other frozen things that I'm not mentioning because Disney loves Frozen. Let me tell you what. Yep. It's everywhere. I was curious because uh, I know that the Twisted Tale series is one that we've touched on briefly with some other uh-huh. uh, things. And uh-huh. I was like, I know they did a Snow Queen one. And I was like, well, maybe wouldn't this be a fun twist if the Twisted Tale retelling was what if Frozen was actually the Snow Queen? But it doesn't look like that's the direction they went with it, reading a plot synopsis, because I haven't read it. I've read that book. I don't care for it. It basically just takes Frozen and rearranges the plot points. And sometimes Elsa does something that Anna did in the movie, and sometimes Anna does something that Elsa did in the movie. I was really hoping that it would at least, you know, acknowledge some more moments from the fairy tale. Mm -hmm. (sighs) It doesn't. Not at all. It's probably further from the fairy tale than the original Frozen movie is. But uh, but speaking about how this movie represents the snow queen let's go to our criteria and see what that conversation looks like (laughs) yeah let's talk about criteria so our first piece of criteria for the snow queen is to tighten and streamline the story 
I mean, the story is streamlined. I think technically they get this one. It's not Hans Christian Andersen's story, but it is a streamlined story. So, sure. Yeah, okay. Uh, Our second criteria, define the Snow Queen. Again, I think they get this. We have a very clear picture of who the Snow Queen is, what she wants, how she feels. I mean, I think they defined the Snow Queen. Yeah. Our Can't technically criteria. argue with you. This conversation is like a very opposite of what I was expecting. Our third criteria is to give meaning to the journey. Technically, they gave meaning to the okay, journey. Okay, here's... Okay, listen, listen. I have to... Okay. <laughs> well, go on. Does Frozen do all of these things broadly, generally speaking? Yes. They define their characters. They streamline their plot. They have a message and they have meaning. Yes, all of those things are true. However, none of those things are related to the story that we made the criteria about. Yeah, the criteria is not like, this is what it takes to be a retelling of the story. The criteria is, given that this is a retelling of the story, these are a few of the things that we would like to see a retelling of this story do. And so, yes... Technically, Frozen does do these things, but they completely changed the story of the Snow Queen. So I think at the very least, you got to give them the check mark for criteria point number two, which is define the Snow Queen. Yes. The other they two, did though, make decisions, like, make definitions for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, we have our fourth unofficial criteria, checking in on Kai and Gerda. They are now servants <laughs> to Anna and Elsa. <laughs> We don't know what their relationship looks like. And as for what the relationship between the Kai and Gerda characters are, I don't know who's supposed to be Kai and who's supposed to be Gerda. So that one's hard to answer. If you are looking at it as the sisters, then you do still have that lovely kind of platonic familial love represented. If it's supposed to be like Anna and Kristoff, then... It is not. Kristoff does not serve... I know that he's the male character whose name starts with K. He's the male character, but he doesn't serve any of the the roles. He does not serve Kai's role in any way whatsoever. You can make an argument for Elsa or Anna, but he, it's not Kristoff. Also, I can't believe we haven't mentioned through this whole entire thing that this story written by Hans Christian Andersen is nodded to through the names Hans, Kristoff, and Anna. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yes. <laughs> it is there. It is there. It's there. Yes. Like I said, the inspiration of Hans Christian Andersen's Snow Queen on this movie is there. It is obvious. It is clear. Mm -hmm. Like, that was clearly their starting point. But then they decided to go in a different direction. And that's fine. That is fine. It's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. It's not a retelling of the Snow Queen. So we are, we're going to be taking just a little tiny itty bitty bit of a break. Itty bitty break. Itty itty bitty little break. We're going to, otherwise we would be recording through Christmas and through New Year's. So we're we're going to take a tiny bit of a break. So we're actually not going to be discussing any fairy tales in January, but we will be coming back strong in February. And we are going to, based on votes we received on our Facebook group. So if you want to say in what we talk about, you should join our Facebook group of Slippers and Spindles and answer polls when we put them up there. But um, our Facebook crowd has spoken, and so we will be venturing into what I'm going to call the modern fairy tales. And we are going to be looking at Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. I'm very excited. This does mean that for our intro episode, 
we will need to cover not only Alice's adventures in Wonderland, but also through the looking glass. So fortunately for you, listeners, you have all of January to read those books because there's two of them. It's not just a one page fairy tale like Little Red Riding Hood for that intro episode. And then when we get there, we will wrap up Snow Queen. We will talk through Alice's adventures in Wonderland. And we will reveal which retellings of Alice we will be discussing through February. And you will also tune into that episode to hear Cassie give you a brief history of children's literature. Uh, because Ooh, that's that going to be an to me. important. That's going to be an important piece of the conversation. Um, is yeah, yeah. why it's structured the way that it is, and um, what it has in common with other children's novels of the same era that we may or may not also be looking at relatively soon. Mm. <laughs> Just, you know, to tantalize. Uh, but yeah, we're going to look at Alice, and I'm pretty excited about it. Me too. I think it'll be fun, especially after Snow Queen. Honestly, <laughs> yes. But yeah, so join our Facebook group. You can also find us on Instagram. Um, I told Drew that I would make a prettier version of my Venn diagram for him to post for this episode. So uh, keep an eye out for that on our Instagram of Slippers and Spindles. You can also send us an email at ofslippersandspindles at gmail.com. Absolutely. And if you had fun with us, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss it when we come back in February. And go ahead and leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts to help other people find us. And thank you all so much for listening to this fun, I think it was fun, Disney episode about Frozen. And we will see you soon. Bye, friends. Bye. Uh, Everybody ice skates and they all live happily ever after. Yay. Yay. And that's Frozen. That is Frozen. And I'm going to step away briefly because um, it's real cold outside and I've turned my heat off to record this. Go for it. And I need another blanket because I'm... Are you frozen? I'm frozen. Ha 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 ha.